podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This episode of Red Inca is the end of year review. So in a now annual tradition, I brought on a friend to chat about it. My name is Vidushina Hantaraja. I am the sports feature writer of The Independent. We discuss every test team in the world, but also the Taliban, South Africa administration, Yorkshire, Pakistan at home, Bill's shoes, Arthur's shorts, Payne's penis, Shahina Freedy's hair. You're on here so we could tr- try and get through the entire world's uh, cricket in as short a time as possible of this year. And of course, that is impossible, but let's see how we go. We did it last year, so this is now an annual tradition. Right. Okay. I feel blessed. Let's start with Afghanistan because <laughs> we're doing it literally in <laughs> yeah. alphabetical yeah, order. Sure. <laughs> um, so I thought there was a moment during the World Cup where it felt like Afghanistan were actually like a thing. Like they won a couple of games and uh, they hadn't, yeah, I thought they played really well against Pakistan. I know they lost that game in the end, but I thought they played really well, probably should have won that game. And everyone was like, yes, Afghanistan. And then it all fell to shit and they lost the last couple of games and they ended up pretty much, you know, and then one of their players retired mid-tournament. There's always that hope with Afghanistan, but they're never that good for more than about two or three games in a row, really. No, yeah. I mean, like, you know, I feel like the World Cup when they were a thing was the 2015 World Cup. Mm. You know, I feel like that was that was such a that felt like such a seminal moment in terms of, you know, they weren't just, you know, it wasn't like Thailand in the in the women's T20. It was it was like oh god, wow, like they're really good. They're actually, you know, they're proper there. They're, there's a structure there. Even the even the fact that you know at the time, and I suppose we've seen it with a few of the players that come through. They had an incredible under nineteen side as well, mm. and I don't know. Maybe I think you were being a little bit generous there. I think they just beat the teams they were supposed to beat. You know, they beat Scotland, they, they beat did. Namibia, and it. Yeah, and it. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, no, no, you're right. You're right, but I think I think the way they played against Pakistan, when at that stage no one was playing well against Pakistan, I, whether I, I'm not, it's not so much about me being generous. I think that the general thing was they might slip into the semi-finals here. Right, and then they came down to yeah. earth with, with 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 a crash. But it's a weird year for Afghanistan, right? Because I don't know if you know, but there's this whole thing with the Taliban. I've heard about them. Yes, yeah. I um, I think there's a few films made on on some of their work. Yeah, you you you, you followed them on Spotify. You big fan of of, of their latest track, the diss track. Yeah, but, yeah. They were they weren't quite high up on my wrapped, but they were you know they were there. Yeah. <laughs> but but that's the thing. Like it's a. This is a really interesting year because at one stage, like, it looked like they were going to get kicked out of cricket when Australia weren't going to play them. Like, that happened this year. Yeah, but I mean, like, it felt like it happened a bit before, didn't it? In terms of when, you know, when the Taliban takeover happened. I mean, I I said that like it was, you know, like they bought out a football club (laughs) when they reclaimed control of (laughs) Afghanistan when the US were pulling out. Um, Yeah, like, it was one of those things where... You really, every now and again, a situation will come about and cricket does not know how to deal with it from the top to bottom, mm. from administrators to journalists. And that was, that was one of those moments that was like, okay, so this is like a real world thing. And yeah, we're not going to play you. And that will solve it. That will solve it. That will solve the issue with women's cricket in Afghanistan. <laughs> 
you are not going to get bowled at by Jai Richardson. This is this is your punishment. You know, I still don't really know where we are with this, but no, yeah. we, of course we don't. Like, I, and there was the whole Rashid Khan thing with the other flag and everything, and I feel like. And then he he stepped down from the captaincy and everything felt related to it at that point. But I was on Jim Jeffries, the um, Australian comedians podcast, and I was talking about Afghanistan and the you know the cricket team and the Taliban. And he just said, "Look, I'll be honest, I don't think that's their biggest problem at the moment." And it's true, <laughs> but to us, yeah. obviously, it was like the thing. Like th- there was that whole thing of like all these people suddenly worrying about you know the Afghanistan women's cricket team, and it's like you do all realize that they didn't have one before. Yeah, yeah, and it was the um, the thing about that would have been that what was it like twenty five contracts the year before? Mm. You know, they they looked like they were building towards something, and it was the way that it was just taken like that, which actually happens a lot in cricket when you think about it. It's not that mm. you know that this was in terms of giving things to you know female cricketers and taking it away, pretty common theme all told. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this was, you know, Shada Ugra wrote a brilliant piece about it, you know, right at the start. And I feel like everyone's trying to work out what was going on. And even, you know, during the, as you mentioned, like, obviously the, you know, Australia refused to play them in that one-off test. Um, but even I feel like coming into the T20 World Cup, there was talk about what flag they were going to use, yeah. about, you know, how safe it would be. I think, you know, the T, te- I mean, quite a few teams took convoluted routes to the UAE, but you know, theirs, certainly the way theirs was covered, it was seen as like they were kind of sneaking out to, to play cricket. But yeah, I mean, we obviously haven't heard the end of it. We don't really know what the situation is with, you know, in terms of access to facilities for women, whether it be schools or, or anything like that. Um, I'd like, I, <laughs> I was um, just researching this. I um, <laughs> like read a bit of, um, you know, what the, spokesperson from the Taliban was saying um and he was like you know look we're, we're different now we are like we're just you know we we, are, we see the way the world is you know we've uh, we saw England do a moment of unity we know we're in a different world now <laughs> I mean it is it's ridiculous the whole situation yeah. is horrendous all right that's Afghanistan who uh basically made news for other reasons Australia let's start with Tim Payne's penis I feel that we, I haven't covered it enough. I don't know how much time you've spent talking about Tim Payne's penis, but it is one of the more remarkable stories because I kind of knew Tim Payne a little bit before he was captain, when he was more more when he was over to a French Explains player a, a little bit. Explains yeah, a lot it does. Now, yeah. And and yeah. when they talked him up as the good guy, I was like, in no way do I think Tim Payne's an asshole or Tim Payne's a terrible person. But my first in- instinct was he's a guy. He's he's a he's a human being. He can be a nice person. Sometimes he can be a bit weird and 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 like anyone else. And I think someone had told me about this story early on, and either I'd forgotten about it or just assumed it wasn't true because nothing ever came out. Where were you when Tim Payne's penis entered your world? <laughs> Why did you have to phrase it like that? Um, where was I? Uh, <laughs> well, obviously because of the time difference, I'd just woken up, and I imagine it's I imagine if if you have if you have received a dick pic in your life as a you know you know like almost exclusively as a woman <laughs> you go into your phone you're flicking it open and you and you're shocked by it as was i um i did like you know i'm i'm sure someone has said this on twitter but the idea that the previous captain got done for something that someone put down his trousers and this one got done for pulling something out um is i don't know it was 
I think you're now regurgitating my lines to me, but I love it. Was that yours? Was that yours? I, think it, I, I wrote that piece of cricket photo. Again, I'm not going to say I invented it because I'm sure about 30 people around the world came up with that line instantly. But yes. Can I talk to you about Sewagology, by the way? Sure. <laughs> Anytime. I'm um, just, again, stealing one of your Is lines. Is there any penises yeah. in that? Um, um, yeah. So, I mean, the, the whole thing, I think the, the disingenuous part was we all knew that Australia hadn't really changed, right? Other than the fact that Tim Payne was bullying people on the field and, you know, even having a go at his own teammates at times, we knew that they hadn't changed. They might have been slightly better, but the system hadn't changed. The people hadn't changed. They'd just gone with a guy because he happened to be the only pulse um, around and they didn't, at that stage, didn't want to give the leadership to Pat Cummins. And, but then they did that thing where they allowed him, even though they knew <laughs> that this was out there, they allowed him and pushed him as the good guy. I remember getting, like, you know, br briefed off the record about, you know, you, you should, you know, all these people are booing David Warner and 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 all this, and, and, and Steve Smith should really focus on, like, what a great bloke Tim Payne is and how much Australian cricket has changed, like someone from Cricket Australia. And I was like, fuck off. What are you talking about? Like, that's a <laughs> please, Steve, stop talking to me, right? And they really did push that, and I think they deserve to look like idiots. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I really don't think they'd be alone in... In, in the way that they pushed pain, even if it's not necessarily a captain, we're, we're always extrapolating good performance and good results for good personalities and good people. And, you know, like, either of us could have been made Australia captain, they could have said the same things. And to a point, maybe we would turn around and be like, look, maybe just like dial it down a bit. Like, you know, I'm 35 now. I've done some things in my life that if you're <laughs> going to keep pushing me that way, someone else is going to pull me the other way. Um, I, I do wonder what um, what pain made of all that. I I don't necessarily like you can you can tell me otherwise. I might be talking rubbish here, mm. and I know certainly obviously he's not a favourite among um, you know England cricket fans or anyone associated with England cricket. But I never really got the sense that he pushed that narrative. I think like every now and again he'd do a press conference where he'd be like, "Look, I don't really care." But my place, if they want to drop me, drop me. I'm here to do the job and captain Australia. And I can't believe that for someone who had his numbers, because that's all you have. You know, yeah. the only reason you're in the test team is because you're captain Australia. So, you know, I, I, I took I took some of that at face value. Some of it, I thought, you know, you, you're, you've almost got a free hit here to be a bit more bolshy in press conferences because, you know, you don't need to score runs. Do you? you can take a few catches, you don't need to score runs. Um, but yeah, like, did you sense that? Did you sense that he was playing up to it? The family image or the, the nice guy image? Just like yeah, everything really. Yeah. Just the image that Australia, that cricket Australia had cut out for him. I don't think he was playing up to it as much as uh, he seemed to, he seemed to do a lot more press conferences probably with his family. Um, you know, I, I don't think it was in a, Australian cricket is, is a bit weird, isn't it? Because you do sort of get that. They do try and like, you know, <laughs> England players have have um, children all the time, and I don't know their names, and I don't know who they are. Do you know what I mean? Whereas I feel like we yeah. do. Not, like Davy Warner's yeah. family is so front and center, so there is something within Australian cricket that does that. I think that's probably fair, but I also think that there was a lot of photo shoots of him with his family, photo shoots of him at home, photo shoots of him just, oh, I'm just a regular, I'm a regular guy. Gotcha. Right. And I, that's not cricket Australia at a certain point, is it? Because if that's me, I'd be like, guys, I, I don't want to do this. Like, that has to be him going, that's how I want to be brought across. I could be wrong, of course, but that's how I that's how I want to be brought across. Yeah, and without veering into 
libel here. You and I know <laughs> people in well, cricketers uh, who are, you know, high profile, more, more, more high profile than, than, well, like in the bracket of high profile people in cricket, cricketers are up there, who either go out of their way not to post about their family because of things they don't want them to be privy to, or they go the other way and like, actually, everyone thinks I'm a dick. Here's an Instagram photo of my family. Yeah. Look, look at look how nice I am. Uh, yeah, you know, so that so that definitely happens. I, I I don't think you need to be in cricket to know that happens everywhere, really. But yeah, yeah, that's just normal PR at a certain point, isn't it? Also, you yeah. he had no identity as a cricketer when he came through because he hadn't really played in a long time, and so by that stage he probably was a mid thirties guy who has a family. You know, it's just that. <laughs> It's just that knowing what they all knew, it's. I still think it's a bizarre way of pushing the the, the narrative. But uh, what about the, the Australia winning the World Cup? I mean, for me, I just thought that they were probably still the fourth or fifth, fifth best team in that tournament with a bunch of incredible players, and it just all fell for them. But that's kind of how those World T Twenty tournaments are going to happen every couple of years. Yeah, um, I can I can hear the pain in your voice that um, Australia beat the data. Like it's all right. You can, you know, this is a safe space. You could, you could shed a tear or two. It was funny though because, you know, speaking like going into this T Twenty World Cup, obviously it was going to be the most data driven T Twenty World Cup there's been. But the irony being that because there's been so little international T Twenty cricket of worth, yeah. you know, of full strength teams, that you know largely a lot of the data was a bit bogus. You know, certainly not not, not robust enough to be used in any algorithm or to to really certainly from i felt like not so much from from in well actually no maybe from maybe from everyone actually yeah but you know you you're saying that the fourth or fifth best people some people were saying they were worse something you know as in people who who spend a lot of time around t20 cricket um and yeah it really did feel like things fell in place and i, I don't really mind that in a in a world cup I, that's mm. kind of what they're supposed to be about you know it's yeah, it, it probably would have been a, a be, you know, a better finale if it was England versus Pakistan, but it doesn't work like that. No, I think I don't think it was so much that they beat the data because, in, f- in fact, if you look at what they did, they probably, well, I suppose someone like Mitchell Marsh and Matthew Wade did, but Hazelwood and Stoinis getting good. It was more that Australia got very good by accident. That's sort of the thing. Yeah, <laughs> it was right. a bit like, like, and I suppose as an Australian fan, I want them to get good so that they're consistently good rather than we know that they're talented and every three or four years they're going to win something that's of worth of something, right? They're going to go to India and roll India at one stage somehow or they're going to win a World Cup or a Champions Trophy or whatever it is. But it's like, guys, you you drop Mitchell Marsh midway through the tournament. Like, (laughs) Matthew Wade probably wasn't even the best wicketkeeper you took. like, And you're batting him in a spot he'd never batted before and then he's the one who gets you in the final. It was all, it was just about all like that. But at the same time, I thought that probably um, the last little while of that tournament was probably the first time that the tournament was humming as well. Like it did feel like for a long time, it was just like everyone was obsessed with the toss. There was low scoring games. It did feel like when we got to the the last, or the semifinals specifically, I suppose, um, that stuff was going on at least. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I don't know we'll talk about these two new teams later, but that, that England-New Zealand semifinal was, yeah, crazy. And obviously it went the way that people were complaining about with the toss and you know and and this that and the other but the manner of that victory was as a standalone game pretty incredible 
But yeah, like that is that is quite interesting because it's hard to gauge when you, when you're not there because cricket tournaments are generally rubbish when you're not there. Yeah, I don't think it had the the follow through of some of the other World Cups just because COVID. It came on the back of the IPL. You know, teams were flying. I yeah. just, you know, I, I mean, usually a World Cup, everyone sort of builds up to it and felt like, oh God, we're going to play this World Cup now. Um, uh, and it was in the UAE, so it didn't have the normal boost of fans that you would get and, and you know, traveling in. Um, I, this is just my point of view, but it just looked a little bit soft um, compared to, to to other tournaments. But some of it is also, just because it's T20 as well, Then we still don't cover T20 very well as a sport. Um, and so... It you know it maybe maybe it's as much to do with that as anything else. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd say that's true. It's still generally people orientated coverage, or like mm. legacy orientated coverage. There's not so much about you know, and I'm I'm speaking personally here. But if if you were to, I would know the next person in to say like I, I would know who England's twelfth man is, or you know their spare batter. And I would assume he comes in, but I wouldn't question that because I was like, oh, that's just how they do things. Whereas really, I suppose what you should do in that situation as you would in a test is be like, or I suppose as you're more accustomed to in, in test cricket in the UK, yeah. it's to be like, well, actually he's a number three, you shouldn't be batting a four or, or yeah. five or six, you know. Whereas I, I think that but you, knew, you need a bit more assumed knowledge across the board. And I, I even mean from the reader as well. And obviously you can articulate why you think something is an issue, why you think something would be better, someone would be a better option than the other. I don't know that that, that knowledge is there now. In part because, like, I find... Well, I, also, I, it goes back to what you said before as well, that there isn't enough international cricket for you to even have a really strong opinion on where each player should go because they all open yeah. the batting anyway, domestically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And even, um, even just, I suppose, like, where the data is, like, I, I try and primitively through StatsGuru, like, look up my own numbers, but obviously... On quick info, you don't necessarily have publicly anyway. You don't have access to, you know, someone's average against spin unless someone's written about it. Unless you've written about it, I would know about it. So every now and again, I'll message like, you know, Ben Jones at Quickviz and be like, I have this. I'm going to write this thing. It's a couple of like, a couple of lines, but does this stand true? And then he'll be like, these are the numbers. So yeah, that that does, you know, that does make sense. The words you're you the words you're putting out there are backed by the numbers. And I, I suppose I could keep my own database, but um, I don't. Uh, that is something that I think T20 is always going to struggle with, certainly because of how secretive a lot of people are with, with numbers, and mm. understandably so. You know, it is a commodity you've got in your hands there. But, um, yeah, I, I wonder if the, yeah, that all plays into it. Uh, talking about World Cups, Bangladesh had a very shit World Cup. Yeah, yeah, they did. I remember, um, so I did my power rankings and I had them... 11th not 12th because Scotland had a really good qualifying tournament and when they came into the tournament they they fucked up their first couple of games and I don't think many Bangladesh fans had followed how bad Scotland were Scotland got a lot better as the tournament went on but those first couple of games that they promoted they weren't any good and the amount of Bangladesh fans I had angry that I had ranked them at 11th not 12th geez did the team not earn the 12th spot by the end I think you were playing in one of the games (laughs) They're quite a sad... It's hard to say because, you know, they're only going to be as good as people allow them to be because of how screwed the system is in cricket. But, you know, there was... yeah, like Obviously, this is a different format entirely, but, um, you know, when they beat England at that test in 2016, there was all this talk of, like, it being a historic moment. You never really believed it would 
build to anything going forward. But it did feel like, at least in the white ball stuff, that with the pace bowlers coming through, with the quality of spin they, they have, and you kind of just assumed there was a steady churn of batters behind you know, the, the established core that you really thought, like, actually, yeah, maybe you could go anywhere and do something then. Like in a tournament, maybe you could go over and, you know, take a couple of ODIs off off Australia if you really like in a five in a five ODI series if they were, if they were ever going to get that. But yeah, like I, I found them quite meek. And <laughs> bear in mind, like I think uh, you know one of the one of the um, things that's come through over the last five six years, whether it's like you know celebrating prematurely against India or just getting in the faces of anyone, everyone, or smashing windows in Sri Lanka, was that like. They're a team of bastards. Like they're really <laughs> ag- aggressive team, and I didn't think I saw that at the World Cup. No, no. I mean, they were terrible. They, it looked like they couldn't hit the ball off the square, um, and they've sort of carried that forward to Test cricket as well. Like now, people are now talking about them being demoted from Test cricket again, which of course is a bit ridiculous uh, where we are in Test cricket and you know the, the whole thought process. But they have really fallen off a cliff, and without when you take Shakib back out of that side, and you just like. I'm not sure how many teams they can beat in in like I'm not sure how many associate teams they can beat. Um, you know they are such a weak team, especially outside of Bangladesh. It's a huge, huge problem because, uh, as you said, 2015 World Cup. Uh, you know, 2016 against England was it 2017? They played Australia, I think, as well. Um, you know, there's it felt like something was happening and it was going somewhere, and then. I mean, it's been bad there. Almost from the time the the governing um, uh, body, the Bangladesh Cricket Board, decided to take back the BPL, and that meant that they weren't going to have any good players in it anymore. <laughs> they have gone absolutely from shit to shit. Yeah, like you, you would have had some, uh, you know, conversations like this, but it used to be that the BPL was like a banker for a lot of English players, like English mm. domestic players. And now they're like, no, 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 no. They don't have any money anymore, so no, I'm not going to bother with that. <laughs> Oh, they only pay you the actual yeah. fee they promised, not the other money in the in the brown bag. <laughs> of which uh, there's a few leagues that were a bit famous for that. All right, well, Bangladesh is in the shit. England, also in the shit. Um, is it worth talking about Joe Root just quickly for how good he has been this year, considering that, I mean, he, he started the, I would say at the start of the year, the Sri Lanka into India was the best I've ever seen him bat by distance. The rest mm. of the year, he had some ups and downs, but he was phenomenal at the start of this year. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you know, that's a really good point. I feel like the English summer in particular, and certainly the start out in Australia, was actually like seven and a half, eight out of ten Joe Root. Like, yeah, that's, that's what he's like when he's good. You know, he gets a you yeah. know, hundred every three tests. That, that kind of makes sense, you know, like 50, 80s. Yeah, that, that, that works out. But the start of the year was, was something else. He was like nine and a half, pushing ten. Um, it was... We all know he's a good player of spin, but it's the clarity as well. And I think, you know, Sri Lanka were, weren't very good, <laughs> even though the England's openers weren't very good. By the time the ball does get a bit older and, you, and you know, Embaldinia has to stop bowling, you know, <laughs> there are certain moments where you've got to cash in. But that's not to say it was, it was easy. You need to, you know, mm. just look at the scores around him. But yeah, it was, I'd, I'd love to sit down with him and... And ask what's changed because it's not like it was a problem that he decided to go away and address in the winter of 2020. It was a problem he should have addressed in the winter of 2015. Mm. But why is it what what happened now that flicked that switch for this 
you know, six, what is it, 600 uh, calendar year? Like, I don't really know. It doesn't look like he's doing anything different. <laughs> you know, he certainly looks to have gone backwards to a point in some of his dismissals out in Australia when he's been well set. But there was a real, you know, clarity and just a bit of ruthlessness as well at the start of that year, which you don't really see. Reverse swing is one of the most incredible parts of our game, but it doesn't happen by accident. It comes from a team effort where each and every member has a job to prepare the ball as well as they can, and then through that group effort, they can get that ball to move gracefully through the air. And you know all this because you're a smart cricket fan, and yet you go out on the field to play with your balls in disarray. If you treat your pubic hair in a shoddy manner, you won't be able to pick up as many wickets as you'd like. But Manscaped have the invention for you, the Lawn Mower 4.0, guaranteed to make your balls reverse. Manscaped's Lawnmower 4.0 is as graceful as a cover drive, as efficient as a Yorker in the deck. And the Lawnmower 4.0 is a true all-rounder, none of that bits and pieces nonsense. So if you're desperate for a breakthrough with your pubic hair, try Manscaped's Lawnmower 4.0. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code REDINCA. That's 20% off with free worldwide shipping at manscaped.com and use the code REDINCA. Let's get your balls going the other way. So what do you think England fans are more disappointed with and what do you think England fans should be more disappointed with? The way they're playing in test cricket, of which I would say there has been years of proof that this is where they are, um, or them losing the World T20, which actually, I know they had a few injuries, but even so, probably expected to at least be in the final of. I would say they're far more disappointed in test cricket despite years of evidence, whereas the World T20, they almost went, ah, oh, we had some injuries, doesn't matter. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think the... Um... The test cricket thing is funny because, and it's a similar complex with Australia, whereby if it happens overseas, it doesn't matter unless it's in Australia. And it's the way that they've been so bad in tests that people have totally acknowledged. But even like, even the way that people thought they would, they would compete coming into this Ashes was just, it wasn't even blind faith in the team. It was just that, well, it's test cricket, it's the Ashes. You know, it's a, it's a rivalry. You can't have a rivalry if one side is just getting battered. And so by calling it a rivalry, like, I oh, know they, they must be, you know, they've got Travis Head, you know, like, um, and look how that worked out. But <laughs> yeah, I definitely say they're more disappointed with, um, with Cest. I, I, I think, I think because of the injuries and because, because of the manner of that, um, basically they, they lost, you know, the reason they weren't in the final of the, or they didn't win the T20 World Cup was because of those six overs at the end of that semi-final mm. against New Zealand, and so it's it's quite hard to pick holes in in that. It feels like it was it was just one of those things. It just it just happens, and T Twenty is a format where things happen that little bit more. So yeah, I mean, a hundred percent, definitely. I mean, they lose at T Twenty. They're not thinking about ripping up the hundred, are they? They lose in Test, and they're burning the whole thing to the ground. So, <laughs> I suppose the only other major thing in England this year, which I forgot to send you in your notes, so I'm just going to obviously make you talk about off the top of your head. But Yorkshire cricket and what has happened there is probably the only other, the other major thing, isn't it? Um, of it sort of touched every part of cricket at this point. Yeah, yeah. So I'm trying to th like where where do we start with with any of this? Because I suppose it started in 2020, <laughs> didn't it? When when Azim Rafiq yeah. went public with all these allegations, and then you know what, 16th of November he's sitting in front of the DCMS committee and the, literally the whole world is watching. Um, media outside of cricket are getting involved as they should have done a year ago anyway. But yeah, it's 
feel like it all came to a head and it, it speaks of a lot of the issues that are in English cricket anyway. And, you know, racism is, is right at the top of that, institutional racism in particular. But it's also the way it's even right up until the end of this summer when Yorkshire attempted to sweep it under the carpet and they, mm. you know, carried out their own independent investigation. They were briefing people um, of the record. There were people involved in the or implicated in the report in some way who were briefing against Rafiq in the allegations. There were people who, just like Yorkshire, who were, you know, who were saying, well, you know, it's, I think it's just gone overblown. I think he's annoyed that he didn't, he didn't play more. You know, he's just a disgruntled ex-pro. Um, and it, you know, it speaks of the entire system of English cricket, really, doesn't it? That, like, you could have three of those conversations shitting on this one bloke who literally has nothing. Like, Rafiq has nothing, you know, mm. and have them from, from different sectors within the, within English cricket. So, yeah, I mean, it's going to go on and on. Obviously, what we know now, sorry, or rather what's happened now, Lord Kamalesh Patel, Bradford has come in as um, president and chair. Uh, they've got rid of the entire coaching staff. And the physios and the trainers and... Everyone, yeah. like the locker room attended. Yeah, some admin as well. So yeah, they they like there's they're undergoing a bit of a reset, and we'll find out in 2022 and beyond how successful that's been. Because you know it's e- easy to give people you know a head on a plate, but mm. still got to fix the reason that um, you know there evidently were so many bad apples. So. Yeah, quite, and then you know the Ollie Robinson tweets as well. Like that happened this year. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, yeah, it's all. Uh, it's been. It's it's been. You said it was bad for Bangladesh. I think you could argue it's been worse for England. We haven't also mentioned that the hundred happened. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and yeah. the thing is, like, we've done England right. That might have been the good bit. The hundred, yeah, yeah. specifically the women's hundred, might have been the good bit. The thing is that we haven't we haven't mentioned the hundred happening. And like everything you just said happened, but you go to India next, right? So India lose the World Test Championship final. They get absolutely bombed in the World T20, far worse than than, than what happens to in England or Pakistan, right? They have the magical start to the year where their third string team beat Australia in Australia. They win at the Gabba specifically. They punch England in the face. They end the year by embarrassing New Zealand, who are now number one and world test champion. But in the middle of all that, they lose a coach and a captain. Yeah. Like absolute madness. So you think of, I wonder if it's just that England and, and India play so much cricket now and have so much going on that there's like 10, 10 controversies and 10 massive things happening in each cricket culture at all times. You can't even like keep your fingers on them. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think the IPL plays into that as well because the IPL feels like so much happens off the field in the IPL, whether it's people talking about Kohli being a bad influence, people talking about, you know, the opportunities that are given to senior players, you know, or, or rather, you know, captains who shouldn't be captains and whatever. And you kind of saw that come home to roost, actually, in the T20 World Cup, I think. You know, they basically, they kind of had an England, Ben Jones referred to it as the England in the... England football team in the golden era where they basically just pick the captains who happen to play in different positions um, and pick the senior respected players across, you know, the top four clubs. And then we're in a situation where they just didn't work together and didn't think about balance at all. They just thought, right, we'll just put the names in there. That, that's got to work, surely. But yeah, no, India was a funny one. I mean, like, 
even the way they got turned over in that first test against England in mm. the um, in Chennai. Chennai, and Chennai um, yeah. I can't even remember now. But, you know when Root Ru gets that that hundred and it's like, oh shit, okay, wow, like you know, and then you know Axar Patel comes in and takes a like he might have actually taken a million. I was I don't think I'm exaggerating there, and yeah, like even the way. Even the amount of time they spent in the UK, <laughs> they were basically there for the whole summer. I mean, they left early, but they were basically there for the whole summer. And, and also, like you, you, you look at it, and they, their, their year is smashing Australia in Australia. You know, beating New Zealand after New Zealand are sort of almost unanimous number one, as you said, coming back from behind to beat England. And yet the year is dominated really by the fact that they lost two final. Oh, well, sorry, they lost a final and then completely lost the plot in, in the World T20, right? It's like the uh, Indian fans are now com- uh, completely going on about the fact that this is a choking team. It, and yet they win more than anyone else in world cricket. They're by far. <laughs> You know, the best team probably across formats, other than the fact that New Zealand seemed to make it to every single fi- a final. It looks like India is a better team across all surfaces. And then you decide, well, who's in the final? Again? Oh, it's New Zealand again. All right, so New Zealand's going to be in the final of every single thing. And India are going to beat everyone everywhere. And now there's a tournament and they're going to fuck it up. Yeah, that's... Um, I feel like we're, we're just playing out a Twitter conversation here. I feel like it, it's now <laughs> the thing of like, oh, India, the best team in the world. And then someone replies with a photo of... Kane Williamson with the World Test Championship. Like it's, <laughs> yeah, I mean, as I said before, I, I think that's the beauty of the World Test Championship or of, of any competition. And I, I wasn't particularly hot on the World Test Championship because, probably because I'm English, to be honest. And, <laughs> you know, um, I didn't, didn't really think it would be a thing. But certainly if you watch that final and the way that New Zealand got the reward for building to it, for so long and having such a consistent team and and beating a team like India, it felt it felt like it mattered. You know, it felt like a, a really good thing. And I'm quite keen to throw myself into this next cycle. But yeah, in terms of the India thing, do you think like they'll never be totally beyond this? But do you think they're coming out of their superstar era? And the reason I say that is because of that, the way they won that Australia test, and it felt like you know, a bit more, maybe not reckoning, reckoning's probably too strong, but it felt like they sat around and thought, oh shit, yeah, like, we're really good, but like, we're really good with hard-working players. Like, Shadow Thacker's not going to be a po- on a poster. Washington Sundar's not going to be on a poster. Shubman Gill should probably be on a poster. I think Shadow Thacker is on a poster, if we're being honest. I think he already is, but... But yeah, I know what you mean. I, I don't know. I think probably, I remember having a conversation, sorry to name drop, but I remember having a conversation with Ryle Dravid at Beckenham because it was me, him, and three other people, right? <laughs> and it was West Indies A, India A. And I remember him saying that the overall talent of the, because he'd been traveling around with the under-19s and the A-team for a while. And he's like, Jared, I've seen everyone. Like, we're just so far ahead of everyone else. So I think that has to be, that that has to eventually bleed into the main team more so than just having two or three stars and a couple of role players, doesn't it? At a certain point, they're probably just going to have seven, eight, nine players who can get into any team in the world, which I suppose is what Australia and the West Indies were like in their peaks as well. Yeah, and they've got an all-service bowling attack, which is... Yeah, and five of them as well. Yeah. I'm quite keen to see who you you might have the answer to this, so I'm interested to hear your thoughts. Who replaces Shami when when he drops like three kilometers an hour? Well, I suppose that they're going to lose. They've already pretty much lost Ishant, haven't they? So they'll lose Shami yeah. as well. 
I suppose Boovey's still around, although he had, he's had a bad six months after. When he was playing against England in the, in the white ball stuff at the start of the year, I thought Boovey looked like the best bowler of the world. And since that, again, <laughs> and I hate to say this, but he looks like you. He's just completely lost the plot since that moment. Um, <laughs> I'll take that. He's a good-looking boy. I'll take that. <laughs> but, but, yeah, so no, I think that's very fair. I think, you know, if you've got Boomerah and you've got Ashwin and you've got Jadeja, and you've got Siraj, you're really only looking at one other top top level seamer. And you can probably you could probably, you know, Scott Boland that a little bit, can't you? Do you know what I mean? There's probably a few <laughs> blokes that could come in for certain yeah. situations. Yeah. Well that's yeah. now how we discuss that. Scott Boland is now a thing in cricket. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, we could do it. Go let's just Boland it. Yeah. Let's just Boland it. <laughs> Uh, Ireland. So Ireland had a really interesting year. They played South Africa and I thought they played some one days against them where I was like, this is now a team that is like legitimately not a bad team. Um, and then they, of course, lost, didn't even qualify for the main part of the World T20. They've now lost to the USA and Andrew Balboni is coming out saying, hey, everyone, we don't play. We need to play more. I'm not really sure what Irish cricket is right now. But they, you know, they had, was it 2020 or was it 2019 where they lost all that money when they got scammed by someone? So they don't have as much money Jesus, as they used yeah. to have. The Euro Euro Slam League, or what was it Euro? I know I was supposed to work in it. Whatever that was called, that was cancelled. It just feels like a lot of things have gone wrong for Ireland in the space of about two or three years. Yeah, and it, feel, it felt like they got over that original blip of focusing too much on wanting to play test cricket and then letting the white ball stuff slide a bit. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, when they eventually played that test against Pakistan, you're like, right, okay, all these, all these people are 40. <laughs> you know, they're literally all, all, they're only hanging on for this game, basically. Um, I remember speaking to Ed Joyce a couple of years ago. Um, like basically a year after that and he was like I was like trying desperately to hold on for it <laughs> and like it, it, like he, he didn't play or did he play? Yeah he played he played yeah he played right okay yeah but he was like because he was basically talking about his body is like falling apart and he's like I had to do it I had to do it and I think he even said that like when Kevin O'Brien gets that 100 he was like shit that should have been mine like fuck I, I wanted that to be me and that, that was how much that that meant to them but then mm. you know they get that four day they get that four day test against England like at Lords as a bit of an Ashes warm up and it's like right okay yeah this mm. could be something but yeah like it, it's there's such a dereliction of duty within cricket but for England to be so dismissive of them when they're literally over there you get like a 40 pound flight to go over and play them you don't <laughs> need you know your charter jets like it's astonishing really and I think it's you know, obviously England are due to play some ODIs against the Netherlands um, next summer, but there's absolutely no reason why it can't be a regular thing beyond ugh, willing, surely. Mm. Yeah, no, no, you're right. I think the whole thing is just so full at the moment. I don't know how the major teams fit anything more in, but at the same time, yeah, it's like sure. you have to look after teams in your region. You have to look after, you know, if you're Australia, you actually have to start playing some of these teams. And uh, I think things have to move on, but it's tough at the moment. Um, uh, New Zealand, who, you know, the island of 1930s, um, as, <laughs> as they're often known. <laughs> um, World Test Championship is massive. Them getting to world number one even before that is massive. Uh, I think for younger New Zealand fans, it's maybe not as big a deal, but especially for anyone over the age of about 30 or 35, you know, talking to them, they just overjoyed. Even 
They were overjoyed when they became number one in the world. And then they were even more overjoyed when they won the World Test Championship because they had lived through just dire periods. I mean, there were times in the, I think it was the early 90s, was it Danny Morrison was telling me, they just didn't win, right? They just didn't win yeah. games in, in Test cricket. And to go from that to being number one in the world is just huge. Yeah, yeah. Even it felt like they were rewarded for all the graft and all the toll they had to put in, all the you know, all the L's they had to take in Carl Jameson. Like, it's quite literal gift <laughs> from the gods. He was like, right, we're just going to give you a seven-foot fast bowler who's just swings it away for fun and he's just brilliant. And they're like, thank you. Finally, we have something here. Yeah. We just got Henry Nichols good, but no, this is great. Yeah. It feels like a sustainable story. And I feel like there aren't much of, much of them beyond England, India and Australia, really. But it feels like New Zealand have found a way to to be more self sufficient than they were about ten years ago. Like, I, I was talking to someone who's in, involved with New Zealand cricket, and he was like, "They ascertained very early on that we might be able to tack on, you know, like they did in seventeen eighteen. We might be able to get England over here to play us after an Ashes or the start of their winter, which they did in October twenty nineteen, I think. But there's no way." You know, like we've got to, basically we've got to find a way of building up and almost like lying to your players and be like, look, no, no, we we are we're going to play loads of Test cricket, so we need like <laughs> first class system needs to be up to scratch. Um, we're going to go on eight tours all the way. He said actually, yeah, this guy, he was like, eight tours have been a quite a good way of satiating black caps players, but all like prospective black caps players, and obviously you know. It, they they become a bit of a um, more favourable destination for cricketers who are maybe a bit disgruntled elsewhere. And like you know, we saw that with Devon Conway at the start of the, mm. the English summer. You know that they've really happened upon someone there as well, especially someone who, by his own admission, like wasn't very good when he was in South Africa. I like, thought he was good enough to like make his own, but didn't think he was this good now. So I didn't even know he was a keeper. But yeah, fine. <laughs> <laughs> They're obviously runner-up in the world, T20 as well. But I almost feel like once they were playing Australia, that was like that was given to them as as a trophy. The the other two most interesting things, of course, Ajaz Patel, where I reckon even five years ago, Ajaz Patel takes ten wickets and they give him the next game. They're so laser focused on getting the most out of their players at the moment. They're like, I don't care that you took ten wickets, mate. Hit the bench. We'll call you when we need you. <laughs> I think they've just thought, look, we don't have any, we don't really have enough money, and we've spent, we've invested so much in Mitchell Santner that we we just cannot, we just cannot give you consecutive games. I'm sorry, Ajaz, take ten all you want, mate. But imagine if Santner took ten. Imagine how many he would he would still be playing in three thousand and twenty one. <laughs> they'd find a way. They'd you know they'd bionic him up or whatever. But yeah, that was a remarkable story. I, I did all, my my favorite Black Cat moment was Jimmy Neesham after winning the England game, you know, having come in and played that amazing cameo, livid that he got out, sat on the bench, still sat on the bench like three hours later and then coming on and doing a Kobe, job's not finished. Quite, I mean, they lost, obviously, so the job, yeah, it wasn't finished, but it never will be, but I could quite enjoy that. <laughs> I suppose the other big thing with New Zealand, and we have to bring England back into this just to show how much of English cricket we couldn't possibly cover in their section, was... Pakistan is the next team. So New Zealand believe that they have a credible warning. They leave Pakistan. England, <laughs> at this point, like, I kind of just 
England, I'm not sure ever gave us any reason other than, you know, uh, they couldn't get the freaking flyer seats. I don't know if there was anything adequate that they ever really gave. They just, yeah, they wanted, they all, they all wanted aisle seats and only, uh, you know, 11 of them could get them and uh, the rest of the squad couldn't, so they didn't get on the plane. It was phenomenal. But how that could have and might still affect Pakistan cricket is massive. I mean, if they were really smart Pakistan now, they would just throw everything they have into the PSL. Yeah, that, that's a that's a really good point. Almost uh, throw everything into the PSL and and get some part of it to overlap the county season. Like obviously the IPL has got the front of the county season. PSL should try and take the end of the county season and just really be a nuisance to the ECV. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was so dispiriting. Also because I think Ramiz Rajan and a few other people were saying that like right, this should be the motivation to be this will you know spur us on to be the best team in the world. We're going to be you know, the best team in, in all the formats and, and we're going to, that way people will want to play us. Well, you were number one ranked team in the world. People don't want to, people don't want to come and play you in Pakistan. <laughs> Champions Trophy. Won the Champions Trophy in 2017. Yeah. No one wanted to come and play you in Pakistan. World, World like, T20 in 2009. <laughs> yeah. Like it's a nice thing to put on a poster. You can put that on the changing room wall when you next play England, but depressingly, it's totally, it's just not going to happen. It's totally yeah. unworkable. So I quite liked how angry they were, really, and and the and the fact that you know they have a backup plan for next year if slash when England pull out again. But I could understand, you know, so ECB and New Zealand cricket share the same security officer, so a lot of the information that was passed mm. on to New Zealand at the time was, you know, being relayed back to back to England. I think the. The, the interesting thing I thought was speaking to some players just as it was being ratified, because I think it was over a weekend, wasn't it? So it was like, yeah. it may, might have made a decision on Friday, on Sunday, but it was certainly up in the air on Friday. And I spoke to a couple of players over the weekend and they, and they were like, oh, we just assume it's off, like, because it's Pakistan. Like, yeah, as soon as there was like one little thing. And it wasn't even that they like had opinions about not going, like maybe some of them did, but certainly the ones I spoke to were a bit like, oh, but you, like, you know what it's like, we'll just won't go to Pakistan, will we? That, that's they will just make that decision. And I think the, the England women were really disgruntled about that because they weren't even consulted. You know, mm. I think it was just like, I think maybe like Heather Knight popped a message in the WhatsApp group, like, by the way, we're not going. Step down, because obviously it was going to be a concurrent tour. And, and you know, Heather came out and, and was quite angry about that as well in the way that it came to pass. But, yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe that's what they should do. Maybe throw it into the PSL. Are, are you saying that? Because have you got a PSL gig lined up? This way you've I don't, but that. if I don't get one after this podcast, I'd be pretty disappointed. <laughs> yeah, well, all the best. So I thought they did really well in the World Cup. And then, I mean, I'll still I'll say this for years. I mean, essentially, Marcus Stoinis, if he gets caught at DB Wicket, they, they absolutely shit on Australia by about 60 runs and, and, uh, and probably roll um, New Zealand or at least have a big chance to do that. But I thought they played really well there. Also, thought, I think it's worth talking about that Baba has obviously went to another level. Mohamed Rizwan has just become one of the most remarkably consistent players in the world. And Shaheen Afridi is, I don't think people actually realize how good Shaheen Afridi is. If he played for one of the major teams, we'd never stop talking about him. No. So I think they don't realize how good he is because it's so hard to compute all the things he does at the same time. You mean the hair? I, I think that's it. It's also the hair as well. He's as fast as you'd expect him to be being that tall. He gets the kind of bounce you expect him to get by being that tall. He swings the ball like a dream and controls it so well. And you're like, no, I can't, I can't take that all in at once. You know, maybe take one thing out, 
give it to me bit by bit. Like I'll I'll happily do I'll happily sit down for a taster menu of Shahida Free 3D. I can't do it all at once. I can't buffet on Shahida 3D. Well, if that isn't the title of this episode, it's only because I've forgotten it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I think for Pakistan, despite that possible seismic event happening, they actually had quite of a almost a low-key year for them, right? I mean, the World Cup, they were just good. Um, and then and then Australia just got over the line at the end. I just I thought they were just a normal good goodish cricket team, but not that a great a cricket team this year. Is that fair? I think so. I think I, I I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing either. I feel like this was quite short of the usual Pakistan hijinks that tends to happen off the field. Obviously, like people chat shit all the time. We're doing it right now, um, but it does. You know, they do, people do seem to do a lot of that in Pakistan, just like select players and stuff like that. But it feels like you know, even the way that their domestic structure seems to have a really solid foundation now. That I get the sense that they're quietly building towards something. Well, they've got something very sustainable and they're building towards something a bit better, especially the way that, you know, you mentioned Rizwan there, someone can come in and um, after years of showing like nothing beyond like being good behind the stump, suddenly be so incredible in front of them. Hasnain as well, like I'd be quite keen to see like how he goes in the, in the next few years, I suppose. Um, they, th- that kind of young crop of fast bowlers they have, mm all quite exciting and it feels like you know it was a shock to me to see Wahab Riaz in the studio covering the T20 World Cup in Pakistan because they surely that was a competition you always have to drag him out for but it felt like the fact that even he thought you know what I'm gonna step back here then there's some good things going on was it during the World Cup that Shoaib Akhtar walked off one of his shows so maybe there was more drama in Shoaib Akhtar and Ramiz Raja's YouTube channel um, at times there was, than there was in Pakistan cricket. But we did have Wazim Khan did step down. So I suppose they kept up a little bit of the uh, Pakistan nature to everything. Uh, talking about a team in an absolute shit show off the field, let's get to South Africa. <laughs> okay, they, they've got a bunch of great bowlers coming through, incredible quality bowlers, probably their best spin combination ever. And Simon Harmer's not even back in that yet. So they can get even stronger when it comes to spin. The batting's a bit weak. Obviously, the whole the World Cup thing with Faf and AB de Villiers wasn't ideal, but realistically, they are governed by, from what I can tell, um, cardboard cutouts of human beings, and the racial hearings are probably the most important thing that's happened in South African cricket since readmission. Yeah, yeah, especially the way that there are a lot of historic elements to it, but the fact that it involves. Graham Smith and Boucher, you know, you're the guy heading up CSA and the head coach is a bit like, okay, right. So this is seismic. And like, you might, I, th- I think, you know, if you, if you look at how they're going to do the investigation, they're going to frame it as findings rather than evidence as it were. So it's like, yeah. it, it's not, it, it would kind of be, all the information is going to be collated and assessed and then, I suppose a view is going to be put out and then they can act on that view if they want. And from some of the recommendations rather than being like, he must go now, that kind of thing, you know, guilty or charged or whatever. But yeah, fuck me. Like it's been astonishing. Just the way that the day we recorded this, Quinton de Kock decides on a whim to retire from test cricket. Like he was resting from two tests and then he's just like pulled out of all tests afterwards. It's so bizarre. But also like you think about it, it's like, okay, 
There's historical problems with race all the way through the history of South Africa, obviously, but South African cricket specifically here. What you really need now is incredible administrators to guide them through. And who are their administrators? At the start of the year, their administrators were slagging off their sponsors publicly, right? It's like, like they were losing their sponsors. They like that those original, the original board or well, whatever they were. The, I mean, the government was going to take over the running of. South African cricket. That's how bad it was. And when we went from that to being like, well, we can't deal with that anymore because now we have to deal with this historic racism, which is now involved in who is running our cricket at the moment. It's like, oh, how do you even fix it when those are the two concurrent problems? Yeah, and even the way that this was supposed to be like the year where they got a bit of a, a bit of a boost with some of the coal packs coming back and, and reinforcing their side. They're like, oh yeah, this is this could be our year. It's like, no, it's not. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's really not. Sorry, it's just. It really, it really just isn't, yeah. Because, you, you know, you mentioned the government threatening to take over. That's a very real possibility given how, you know, depending on how this investigation goes. Yeah, it could happen again goes. for a different reason. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, the ICC are, are, are pretty hot on, um, you know, on government and political involvement. And it'd be keen to see where their stance is on it because this might be the only situation, and I'm thinking back to previous times when they've thought to step in with Zimbabwe and, and Sri Lanka to an extent, but this might be the only situation where they might have to relax that because they're like, oh, we get it. Like, this is such a huge problem. This is so much bigger than CSA that you're like, yeah, maybe, maybe, you know what? Send in the army as well. Maybe you should just <laughs> send everyone in. If anyone thinks they can fix it, rock up. Honestly, and, and privatize the best. South African cricket team. <laughs> so they should just become England A, you know, let's become, become the England Lions. Sri Lanka. Was it, oh my God, I can't even remember. Was it this year that Sri Lanka had players sent home and suspended for the rest of their life or was that last year? It was the Durham game, wasn't it? Were they, um, it was, uh, yeah, I think it was this year. I think it was Yeah, it was this summer. So Sri Lanka had, went from that where essentially, again, like, okay, the players broke the bubble and it embarrassed Sri Lankan cricket and it could have cost Sri Lankan cricket a lot of money going forward. But the over penalties, the, the huge penalties that were given by the Sri Lankan cricket board, who are just as inept and have just been as embarrassing um, to Sri Lankan cricket as any players have ever been, was incredible. But I did think that during the World Cup, no one had any hopes for them at the World Cup, right? And there was, no, no. it was certainly a point in the World Cup where people were like, do you know what? This is starting to come together here. There's a, there's a team here. Um, there's some young players for the first time in a long time where you look at them and go, yeah, there's there's Sri Lanka could be something here. Of course, that's followed by the fact that Mickey Arthur then took a job in Derby. If you're taking a job in Derby, <laughs> I mean, that's a step up from a really good school job. <laughs> and we can say that because we've been to Derby. We've come <laughs> Many to games times. In Derby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Mickey Arthur, um, it, it will mean though, that given how cold it is generally during the English summer, certainly colder than Sri Lanka, it does mean we won't have to see Mickey Arthur in those shorts again. Which, I mean, to be fair, is... is, is... I feel like we're coming full circle from Tim Payne. But... <laughs> I think that realistically, I hope that this new generation of cricketers comes through. But the fact that Mickey Arthur didn't want to stick around, and he didn't want to stick around because he didn't like the players. I think he, you know, he liked the players and he liked the job. It's just that he knew if he stuck around, no matter what would happen, he'd, eventually, he'd be fired. All right? So he's taken what is a softer, safer, easier job, which is fair. I don't, I don't blame him at all. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, you, you're never sure of it. When they can, as you say, like when they can decide to send people home and never pick them again on a whim, 
you know, for making a mistake, you'll be like, right, okay, this is this is a bit treacherous here. Um, yeah, like I, I was, the T20 World Cup was the thing that gave me a bit more confidence in the future of Sri Lankan cricket. You know, Hasaranga is mm. a world beater, really. And no doubt there'll be some complaints when he is pulled to different T20 competitions, but I kind of think good on him, you know. Dustin Sharlick, I was quietly impressed as captain. He'll probably go on to be known as a great survivor because he's he's an all-rounder who's kind of six out of ten at both, really, isn't he? But is just consistently six out of ten. Do you remember when they like Darren that. Sammy, he like everyone used to go on about how Darren Sammy didn't really do much in a T20 game? Like he does so much less than Darren Sammy ever did. <laughs> <laughs> Like, Darren Sammy was an absolute world-class hitter of seam bowling at the end of the innings. Okay, that's a skill. What What have you got, son? Yeah. And it's like, yeah. your best skill was literally getting the captaincy when there was about to be a strike. That's your best skill of his politics. And he used to be a great striker of the ball. Remember, he used to hit sixes all the time back in the day. He doesn't hit sixes anymore. Mm. But, but honestly, he might have been a very good captain for this particular team as it was a younger, inexperienced team coming through. Yeah, I think that's fair. And they probably, beyond Sangakara and Jay Wardner, and to be fair, they passed it between themselves a lot. Like, it's it's never a good thing to be the Sri Lanka captain. We've kind of seen what it's done to Angelo Matthews in, you know, quite a, you know, quite a distressing way. It took way. such a beautiful man and destroyed him. Yeah, it's almost like he's radioactive. Like, you know, you could hold it, but you, you couldn't, uh, you're going to be very sick by the end of this. <laughs> so, um, yeah, good luck. It's... I, w- I was going to like talk about Salanka, um, Vishka Fernando, Rajapaksa, but we know in a year's time they could all be out of the team for, mm. for cricketing grounds, not through not through anything else. Like it's it's really hard to know what is. I mean, th- to be fair, you, yeah, what is a real dawn because there have been so many false ones, but they didn't embarrass themselves. I was worried they were going to stink out of the place at the mm. you know the T Twenty World Cup, but. What did they win two games? Like they did, they did okay. Yeah, they didn't embarrass themselves. It's like when you bring someone to a party and you're like, just don't throw up, and they didn't throw up. And <laughs> what more could you ask for? Uh, West Indies started this year with Kyle Mayers, who was a former bowling part-time batter, making two hundred to chase down. You know, a phenomenal total. I think that the West Indies is very similar to the England team in the in the right conditions. Their bowling attack is so brilliant that they can tear you apart. But they are fundamentally shithouse at batting almost all the way through. I mean, it's it's bad out there, isn't it? Like, De Silva might be their best bat, and he's barely played, and, yeah. and, and they've got him tucked down the order. They really are struggling to find guys who... I mean, if they had Rory Burns now, like, he'd be... He'd, I was going to say he'd be a national hero, but I suppose he'd be an island hero. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They have just really, really struggled to find any batting at all. Yeah, you mentioned there that they're you know the bowling attack in the right conditions like England's um, can do a number on teams. Their bowling attack in English conditions do a number in, on teams, and I suppose you could say the conditions help them that way. But also the conditions that they're playing against England when they're playing in England helps them a bit. Yeah, the the Mars one was fascinating because they had no right to win that game. <laughs> like, we know Bangladesh are bad, but they, but they generally had no right to to win that. What? So they were th- fifty nine for three when Myers comes in chasing. What three or three hundred forty odd, three hundred thirty? Like, how have they won that game? And they won it in such a West Indies way that they can probably take nothing from it. Because it's like, okay, well, the guy who comes in at five scores a double hundred, brilliant. Yeah, let's do that again. Like, 
Madness. Well, since, since then, he's basically become a bowler again, right? Like, if you have a look, he's really struggled, and he actually went back to being a good bowler again. So not only did they lose out on, oh, you can't replicate that, he literally can't replicate that, right? <laughs> it's like, it's so weird. And then you've got the, the World T20, which is obviously what everyone expected them to be brilliant at, and they absolutely stunk out the job. I still think that... I think what happens is you can have a couple of bad games in a row in T20 cricket and, and people overreact. I think that's probably more or less what happened to the West Indies and that if that was a 30-game season, um, they probably would have done a much better over the course of it. But at, at the same point, they still brought yeah, <laughs> they still brought a very, very old team to the World T20 when they have incredible young talent around everywhere. Yeah, I mean, that's why I was going to, question what you've just said there that if it was a 30 game season they would have done well do you think they would have lasted 15 <laughs> games that's fair i mean yeah. chris gale and ravi rampal weren't, probably weren't getting you through to game 27 were they no yeah a bit like the lakers now aren't they i thought that was astonishing really and, and i thought i don't necessarily begrudge this but you know you're playing with fire if you start picking teams like this but I, but i got why they picked that squad it was almost like one last job um and obviously it didn't work out, but yeah, like it, it totally, I think it, it sent the wrong message to, well, I, want, I mean, I don't, know, I don't know that for a fact at all, but I wonder if it might have sent the wrong message to those younger down that like these guys will always, it doesn't matter what you're doing when these guys can't be bothered playing in this. Mm. It doesn't matter what you're doing in the CPL, but when it comes to the big time, they've got, they've got first dibs basically. But you know, you, you've worked a lot out there, like, is there a bit of resentment towards that old guard? Because I know they're all revered in some way, but I, I wonder quietly if they're like, fuck's sake, you know, Russell's got one leg. <laughs> I actually felt that when I was out there, they were really, there's a real culture of these guys have done it. And I actually felt that the right. younger generation who I thought should have been pushing through, they were almost too deferential, if you know what I mean. And they were just like, like, you know, yes. so to yeah. be talking about one of the young guys, would be talking about someone, I'd be like, look, I'm not being a dick to that person. That person's had a great career, but you're a better bowler than them now than they are now. Like, uh, okay, they've played in the IPL and they've played the PSL and they've played the Big Bash. Don't get me wrong. But right at the moment, you're a better bowler than this guy or you're a better batter than this guy. And I, I did actually feel it was more like that. But I think this is the first generation of West Indies cricket where like Ricky Skerritt is in charge, right? And it was the, the players actually got a say in it. Like, if you remember, they won the last World Cup, like, against the board. They literally, Darren Semi went up and slagged yeah. the board off two seconds after, right? The board was completely with the players. They've, they've been treated a lot better over the last couple of years. It's actually kind of disappointing that this is the one they fucked up, right? Because this is the one where they had some support coming in. And Kyron Pollard probably, not completely, but probably more or less got the team he wanted and the team he wanted, you know, fell apart. Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, I feel like a lot of his press conferences at the start of the tournament were defending all those people, you know, talking about, oh, you know, he's a champion. and He wrote a song called Champion. <laughs> yeah. But, the, um, yeah, and, and I suppose through that, I can kind of see what you're saying about there's that reverential view of, of those players. But where do you think they go from here? Because it feels like they've just got to, you know, pick a load of people up and push them in, you know, obviously give Puran a bit more responsibility anyway. But yeah, like just play all these people that we, we hear about every now and again. Like just chuck your Fabian Allen the keys to the middle order and just be like, right, just go, go do your shit. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that, I mean, you've got guys like Allen, I suppose, Raheem Cornwall, Shafane Rutherford, uh, Robman Powell. There's a lot of guys out there who are just 
really Brandon King, just a lot of guys out there that like they were the guys coming through when I was working there. And I was like, these guys are phenomenal. Obed McCoy and Tanra Paul Hemrod, just a lot of really, really talented guys just under that level. And I, I think I almost think that West Indies are in a pretty good situation because the senior guys are going to keep playing in the big tournaments, right? And that allows them to mm. just be like, okay, well, who are the next guys that are that are going to end up in the IPL from from our team? Like, it, that's the way they probably should be looking at it, whether they will or not, that's because the next point. World Cup is so close. I don't know, but they they know what Karen Pollard could do, right? You know, they know what a few of those players can do. So now, how do we find what the rest? Like, you know. They haven't been picking Sun on the Rhine. They haven't been picking uh, Rakim Cornwall. They don't have to pick Sun on the Rhine until they get to the next World Cup if they don't want to, right? But is it worth them just seeing what Rakim Cornwall can do for them for a little while? Or even Roston Chase, because obviously he ended up in that tournament and he, you know, he had that good year. If they really believe in him, have a go. And the same with Fabian Allen, because I feel like a lot of those guys play in sort of the end of tournaments or the end of series when it doesn't really matter. And it's like, if you want them to be any good at a World Cup, they probably just need to play some slight, you know, they need to probably need to play against India and England and Australia and New Zealand um, and, and be put under, and Pakistan and be put under more pressure consistently. Feels like West Indies didn't quite do that at, at this time. And that might be that they knew they were always going to go with the senior team for this tournament, which I think they probably deep down did know. Yeah. Okay. That's fair enough. Uh, women, as you can see, there's almost no women here, and that's because women have not been allowed to play cricket this year. You can make a fairly big argument that the women's hundred is the biggest thing to happen in women's cricket, not just in English cricket this year. I think the worst thing that happened in women's cricket for me, though, was that the, the qualifiers for the World Cup were pulled just at a time when a bunch of teams looked like they were doing something quite special. It's the most ICC thing that the ICC have done in quite some time. Yeah, um, but then you, you probably have to go back to the end of last year for the previous most ICC thing they did where they pulled the World Cup in New Zealand. Yeah, that was pretty bad too. When New Zealand was quite literally the safest place on earth. <laughs> yeah, and then England ended up going to New Zealand anyway for like a for a training thing at the, um, at the start of the year. So that was Weren't that was the West Indies mad. there as well? Didn't the West Indies spend a month and a half in Australia? Or was that year before? I can't even remember now. But I feel like the West Indies were there. Yeah, it's um, that photo of... Um, you know, of the Thailand players with their phones out with the, um, you know, the ICC countdown on it or the ICC logo was just, just bitterly disappointing as well. But yeah, I mean, it's no surprise. We, we mentioned it kind of at the top of the show, didn't we? That there's been a lot that's taken away. 2020 was a really bad year. 2021 had had no excuse to be as bad as it was. Women's 100 would have been, yeah, like, it, I mean, the WBBL went, went by pretty well considering that, the issues they had last season with with COVID, I feel like they they, I mean, I, they probably did well because they played it so early. Given that mm. you know we're in a situation now with the men's BBL where games are having to be cancelled, but yeah, like the, I quite like the women's hundred. You went, you know, you went to a few hundred games. Generally, it seemed like quite a good place to be, quite a good place to watch cricket, but also. You know, I, I feel like it. It's already done its job in terms of pushing women's cricket. That little bit further forward in the general public's conscience in the UK, but also giving opportunities to people like Alice Capsu, who's just been phenomenal as well. Yeah. Oh, what's her name? Is it Maxud? Yeah, Abtahar Maxud. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think I've got a cricket card here somewhere in front of me. Yeah. I, look, I thought it was great because, as good as the women's big bash is, it still feels like it's in a pocket, right? 
And because essentially the BBC and the advertisers kind of forced the ECB's hand and said, no, we want it to be square and shoulder to shoulder with each other. And it worked. I thought it was magnificent. Um, it, but it, but it has this has been a very bad year for women's cricket, I think. As you said, in some ways it's more disappointing than the year before because at least the year before we everything was cancelled because we didn't know what the hell we were doing. felt like this year they just allowed women's cricket to be cancelled anyway because it's too hard. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like, look, we put so much effort with the men, we can't be asked to do it again. Can't do it twice. Bear in mind as well, they lucked out with the with women's stuff because had it gone through in twi- had the women's hundred happened in twenty twenty, they'd be a very they'd be a different ground. You know, these were these mm. were double headers, which yeah, you know, I, I, I still haven't really made my mind up about double headers, but they were, they were played at the proper venues. They weren't played, um, you know, non non test um, county rounds. So. That, that helped massively with the cut through, I think. But yeah, again, a good thing that they, you know, they lucked out on. But I mean, the next year could be, well, I mean, it ha- it's going to start pretty well anyway. Bear in mind, we've got the World Cup, we've got the Women's Ashes. Mm. But like, it, it feels like they've they've got to start again. And, you know, you mentioned the, the stuff with the Afghan women's team, like South Africa in a, in a, in a bit of a weird space with their with their women's team as well. West Indies are the ones that, you know, I feel like if you ask someone to name, you know, the teams to look out for in a, in a women's world cup, they'll say the West Indies on default because of Dottin Taylor and, and Hayley Matthews. And now it feels a bit like they just feel a bit disjointed and mm. you're not really sure how much willing there is to, to keep them pulled together and bring through the next generation. But that's, uh, I'm saying that from afar, there probably is, Touch wood, I hope they are making moves to do that. But yeah, it, feel, it feels like women's cricket in general has to start running again from a standing start. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Zimbabwe's last team, Ryan Burl. I put this on the list and I, I, I kind of wanted to know if you know why Ryan Burl is on this list. I hope, I think you do. I do. I, you do. Good. Okay. For those who don't know, Ryan Burl is on this list because midway through the year, he tweeted that Zimbabwe cricket and Zimbabwe sponsor, who I think was New Balance, was it at the time? I, I'm trying to think. I, I don't want to select off New Balance if it wasn't them, but... I think he tagged in New Balance, didn't he? Oh, is that what it was? He tagged it. Whoever the sponsor was, they weren't giving enough shoes to the Zimbabwean players. And so the Zimbabwean players were basically turning themselves into cobblers to keep their shoes together. And he tweets this, and it becomes an international story, and eventually Puma come to his... And they sent the Puma sent the whole team shoes. Also, if I'm not mistaken, Puma sent cricket bats to the Sierra Leone cricket team, was it, or the Uganda cricket team? I can't remember. One of them, one of those players, and one of the senior players from one of those two teams um, sent something, or maybe it was to both of them. That's why I'm getting confused. But what was really interesting is that Zimbabwean cricket. There are so many bad faith actors involved that. I did a video mm. on it and I was accused of taking money from Ryan Burl to do a pro Ryan <laughs> Burl video, which I thought was about the funniest thing ever, that he couldn't afford shoes, but he was paying a YouTuber to send some videos on him. But it did tell you <laughs> it did tell you how bad Zimbabwe cricket had kind of fallen. And like it in some ways they've been getting their players back with the with the Colpack thing as well. In fact, maybe the best thing that's happened to Zimbabwe cricket over the last couple of years is blessing Muzarabani actually coming back. I, I don't know if you know this. He almost signed for major league cricket after being being a Colpack. Um so he was gonna go and right. move to America. And for those who haven't seen Blessing Bowl, he's what is he, six seven, six eight? Mm, yeah, about that. 
Yeah, and a very similar bowler to Jason Holder, I would say. Maybe slightly quicker than Jason Holder. But very, oh, I, I think I think he's quicker. He doesn't he doesn't lose any height when he bowls, whereas Holder braces his front leg, doesn't he? So it That's fair, like yeah. He's bowling yeah. like a man who's five ten, yeah. Yeah, very like they're not Kyle Jameson in the way that they bowl, but they're very, very hard to play just because of the height and the movement, the sideways movement that they get. So I think that's an incredible story for Zimbabwe cricket to get him back. And obviously, you know, he's a very talented player. But in the same year, they having their players are having to go to Twitter to get new boots. It's not perfect over there. No, no, it never is. I, I think I, I don't think New Balance sponsored the team, but I think because they had to pay for their shoes, they, those were New Balance shoes that he was gluing together. I thought he did it quite well, actually. He had a little, um, he had a clamp, didn't he? Yeah. And like he had it, like he had his tools out. That's what I mean. They were cobblers. Yeah. <laughs> it was almost like if you like genuinely, if I had a shoe that needed to be done, I'd be like, well, Ryan Burrow, if you need the money, mate, I, like I could, I could do with some. Yeah, I mean, they're never going to be sorted, are they? Then they're, they're never going to be structurally, administratively sound. No. Also, what what happens from here, like beyond? threatening them and continuing to not play them like what, what what is there to do this is this is the thing that like we could have had this conversation in a review 10 years ago mm. you know it's it's such a constant thing it's something that you know brendan taylor when he was playing over here would would talk about and, and that i think that is the worst thing whether it's you know sean irvine or brendan taylor or other zimbabwean players like blessing who've played over here the, the, the desire to play for Zimbabwe is so great, mm. if only because they've seen how great Zimbabwe can be by the, the older generation. And yet they're just, they're given so many reasons to stay away. And I don't know how you fix that. Yeah. The problem is that you get a player like Blessing come through and you're like, great, they could still produce talent that is absolutely world-class that people are going to want. But then you think, why would he stay? Right. So he's gone back exactly, now. Yeah. But let's say he plays two years for Zimbabwe. He doesn't make any money. They play a bunch of average cricket. Major League cricket comes calling again. All the T20 franchises come calling. How long before he leaves, right? And does that help Zimbabwe cricket? Like, does that mean that young kids in Zimbabwe are like, well, look how much money he's making? Or is it just like, if they won't, it can't be bothered playing for our team? I, I don't know even know what the answer is to that. It's so frustrating. Yeah, you kind of... <laughs> I mean, it's a conversation on a you know completely different level that people within English cricket are having now. They're like, oh, you know, if you can earn so much money in these T Twenty leagues with white ball, anyway, why would you why would you be a Test player? And what you're relying on there is people t to fall in love with wanting to play for Zimbabwe as they work to being a cricketer. Yeah, I suppose like your your inspiration for doing something doesn't necessarily have to tally with your ambitions, if that makes sense. Like you could see someone earning a lot of money and think, oh, cricket does have a career and then get into it and realise there are many different paths. Mm. And presumably because they're still creating players like Blessing, that is happening. You know, certainly the club scene in Zimbabwe, I think you might have written about this as well. Like it's, it's you know, a real hotbed of, of talent. It's just like that talent, mm. as you, you know, as we've said, like gets to a certain level, they're like, there's just nothing here for me. Yeah, I, I, I don't really know. I feel like it's, they might win a big game and we'll get excited about it and, and write our pieces and then dip back into the cycle again. Yeah. What's the most genuinely exciting thing from cricket this year, do you think? Because it's been a bit of a weird shit show, obviously. But what's, what's the thing? So, so I think for me, like, I know the Thai women didn't end up in the World Cup, 
but it felt like there was something actually building with the Thai women where you were just like, this isn't just they're slipping into the World Cup. This might be them consistently being a good team who wins games and can do something here. I felt like they that was the moment where I was like, there's something going on here that is quite exciting for cricket. Yeah, I don't know what you mean, because it felt a bit like, it felt different to the usual stories, which are often like, with all due respect to the schemes that do this, it's like someone goes on a gap year and teaches some kids in Zambia. This is a very specific example, because it's something that, relate to me and it's like oh yeah you know you know they're, they're really good they picked it up really quickly and you're like oh okay i'll you know keep tabs on that and it's like sorry do we just need like a steady stream of gap year students going over yeah. there and like coaching them and do they need to be like slightly more technically advanced every time they're taught but yeah we, as you said with the thailand thing it was like okay like even the way that you know this particular group and you know the stories from the previous T20 World Cup about how they were staying together, how they were kind of like living, you know, they become a family basically and pushing each other to to improve and how that's filtering down like that. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a that's a good choice. I can't really, in terms of my one, I don't. What excited me? I don't know, I'm quite excitable. I'm, I don't know why it's taken so long, but you are very excitable. I think my backup would have been New Zealand making three finals and winning one of them like you know all three formats of cricket i don't think you could have convinced me of that four years ago that new zealand were going to make the world cup final in the one days and just miss out and then win the world test championship and make the world world t20 final like that feels like something completely bizarre and and, and different and exciting again but yeah it, it's uh, the reason i ask you that is it's just such a weird year we're playing so much cricket writing this list we probably missed about th- there are people screaming at their podcast devices because we have missed so many yeah. narratives that have come through and i could have kept going on and on and on there was just so much going on this year yeah that that's so true and it felt like a lot of it was being forced through because of the the pandemic and you know there was obviously loads of talk about bubbles and bubble fatigue and things like that and i i do think i find it really interesting that um when india pulled out of that final test that was supposed to be at old trafford um and then went to uh, you know left the uk and went over to the ipl in the uae i thought it was really interesting that while obviously everyone hammered them the england players were like I kind of get it it's not ideal but we kind of understand i suppose they're going through something similar at the moment Actually, the moment that sticks into my mind where I was very excited in that I was watching a game and couldn't take my eyes off it, or rather watching a few games and couldn't take my eyes off this particular moment was Shahina Fridi opening the bowling. Something about it took me back to... Because as you said, there's so much cricket that you can kind of... You can kind of watch it out... You almost have to watch it out of one eye because you've got to use your other eye to watch the other game. But that, because I suppose it was a World Cup, that really felt like you were... You were sitting there and because it was always the start of the over and because of the crescendo for the sorry start of an innings and because there's you always get that crescendo at the start of a white ball innings. Yeah, that was that was quite exciting. That felt like a bit of theatre that I suppose not a lot of cricket had this year. Yeah, I think that's a good way to finish on Shahina Freedy's hair. Thanks for coming on the podcast. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Huge thanks to everyone who's listened to our podcast last year. Nick, Moku, and I really appreciate all the listens, shares, and comments. And a huge shout out also to all the guests who've agreed to come on the show as well, from the people who ask questions on 
Spotify green room to the former players and writers and I don't know whoever else I dragged onto the podcast last year. Also, a very special shout out to all those on Patreon and Buy Me A Coffee that help support the show. That's why we have two episodes a week. And we're actually looking at adding a third episode a week in the future. So if you're not a Patreon supporter and you do actually want to hear us for an extra half an hour every week, please head over to the Patreon page or Buy Me A Coffee to support us. But we'd really like to thank everyone who has listened and shared to this podcast. And we got 100 episodes last year and let's go for them again this year. <laughs>